Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah chapter 35. I invite you to read along with me in your Bibles, or you can read along with me. The words are in your bulletin. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it will be called the holy way. Not even fools shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Friends, we are blessed at this church with wonderful, wonderful music. Um, I hope you've been blessed this morning. And with the children uh, at 10 o'clock, wow, Um, I'm continually blown away and I'm thankful. Um, And by the baptism, Uh, what a a blessing that is to be a part of. And Caleb, does she grab your beard as well? Yeah, I figured that happens. What a blessing, though, to be a part part of a moment when we acknowledge that before we even knew it, God loved us, uh, and God still loves us, even when we don't know it or think about it. Um, We began this Advent series, we began it with Connor's interpretation of Isaiah through Buddy the Elf, and a simple message that God saves. And last week I I shared a movie, Spirited, and the idea that no one is unredeemable. And it's been sort of an accident, but but I guess I'm going to start the third sermon in our series of Isaiah and Christmas movies with another movie. Um, that's just how we do Christmas at our house, or that's how I did it growing up, and I think Adair is just thankful to be along for the ride, I guess, Christmas movies all the time. Um, but that's how we, we celebrated a lot of Christmas, watching our favorite Christmas movies. And so today, I want to take, uh, take a step back in time to the magical year of 1996, of Nintendo 64s, when Michael Jordan was an actor and a basketball player, a year when the Olympics came to Atlanta. When the Braves made it to the World Series again, and I don't remember anything after that, and a year when 30 million Canadian and United States citizens were plugged into something called the Internet. It was a a time, it was a great time. A lot of change was happening. In December of that year, a Christmas movie was released, and it was a remake, and it starred Denzel Washington, Whitney Houston, and Courtney B. Vance. Can anybody tell me what it is? The Preacher's Wife. The Preacher's Wife told me just now. That's funny. Um... I didn't grow up with this movie, but I always meant to see it, and so last week we turned it on, and the movie takes place in a neighborhood in New York City where Courtney Vance and Whitney Houston 
are the Reverend Henry and Julia Briggs, and they serve as the preacher and his wife in a little neighborhood church that has fallen on some hard times. Now, not only is this church in a tough spot financially and, and otherwise, but so is their marriage. And Reverend Briggs feels, often feels too much of the weight and responsibility of this congregation on his shoulders and on his shoulders alone, while Miss Briggs longs for the days when they could face things together, not alone, not apart. Their marriage has become siloed, and it's just not working. And so one night, Reverend Briggs knows this, and he gets on his knees, and he prays. And he asks God, I need help. The simplest and sometimes kind of the hardest prayer, I think, to pray sometimes. I need help. And the next thing you know, an angel named Dudley, played by Denzel Washington, is sent to help this couple in this church recapture what it is that they've lost. Now, if you're looking for a movie that really just kind of showcases Whitney, Whitney Houston's singing abilities, partnered with the occasional scenes of the always charming Denzel Washington, who I'm told could read a phone book and it would be great, uh, this is the movie for you. But if you're looking for a light, frothy, easy watch, I might try something else. I really would. Because as we experience, this movie spends a lot of time in despair, in hard times. This is, there's not easy living in the lives of these two main characters. And in the midst of their hardship and all that their church is going through, the moments with Angel Dudley are great. In fact, the moments of levity with Denzel are very welcome. But I don't think they're enough. <laughs> and sometimes it even feels out of place. There's, there's just not enough, for me, there's just not enough happy to get you through the sad of that movie. I don't know if you know what I mean, but that's just how I felt after I watched it. And then I began prepping a sermon in Isaiah. <laughs> and I realized, wait, I'm in, I'm in two of the same genre right here. So much of Isaiah is a reality check for the people of God, and there aren't a lot of moments of levity. There's not a lot of laughter in Isaiah. <laughs> There's a lot of despair and vengeance and sadness and imagery that does not spark joy. And Isaiah 35 feels a little bit like Denzel's character in The Preacher's Wife. It's a bright spot in the midst of a lot of destruction and ruin and disaster, but is it enough? <laughs> is it enough happy to fill the sad? I mean, you only need to look at Isaiah 34 and 35 together as an example. 34 follows a lot of the despair that is heard elsewhere in Isaiah and I'll say this, Isaiah 34 does doom and gloom better than a lot of the other passages. The Lord is enraged against the nations. He's doomed them to slaughter. Their dead shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. Mountains shall flow with blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away like a leaf on a vine or fruit on a fig tree. There will be a great slaughter. Wild oxen shall fill with them and, and young steers and the mighty bulls. King James says unicorns there, by the way, just FYI. Smoke and sulfur will burn and not be quenched and wild animals will take over the land. This passage is graphic. But not only that, it's covered in like sensory descriptions. The stench of corpses and smoke and sulfur. There's blood imagery that feels like it's in a horror movie. It's stark. And creation takes back itself from those that were given dominion over it. And the reader can only think, I can only think to myself, I feel like Isaiah has been here before and he exists in this kind of genre. But as you turn the page, you're given another vision. The land that was just given over to God and to the animals that lay in destruction and smoke and sulfur and death, that land that has over time become wilderness and desert will sing joyously again. 
All of it will flower and bloom once more, a symphony of song and color. Isaiah tells the reader, the audience, to get up, stretch out, energize your hands, your your knees. You've been in the dark for a long time. Tell the fearful to take courage, for God is here, God is on the way, and God will save you. And just as redemption will come over the land, so redemption will come over the disabilities of the people. Blind eyes will be opened, deaf ears unstopped, the lame will walk and move, those who cannot speak will be given a voice, water in the desert. And what a different picture than the previous passage in word, but also in sense. The colors are beautiful, the smells are sweet and fragrant. So what is the purpose of this metaphor in this passage? Because Isaiah is never just describing the future. A garden is never just a garden. Water and streams in the desert, they're never just water and streams in the desert. What is he doing? John Wesley tries to explain, John Wesley explains it like this. He doesn't try. The most dry and barren places shall be made moist and fruitful, which is principally meant of the plentiful outflow of God's grace upon such persons and nations as have been wholly destitute of it. In other words... Those who have been without grace will experience it like never before. I love that. Grace as a stream in the desert. Grace where there was none. But is it enough? Is one little passage of grace enough after so much of Isaiah that is built on wrath and judgment? It's interesting. I read this this week. Some scholars feel like Isaiah 35 doesn't belong here. Some scholars feel like it's in the wrong spot. Portions of it likely refer to the end of the exile by Babylon, which which may need to put it later. And then they also talk about how Isaiah 34 is so steeped in destruction that it's going to come on the nations. And then without a break or explanation, Isaiah 35 interrupts all that. Without even a proper transitional phrase, there's not even a however or a therefore or a but. Some have even suggested that whoever was putting this together, whoever was compiling the the writings of Isaiah into this book, made a mistake and grabbed something from the back and put it right here. And to that, preaching professor Barbara Lundblad, she's skeptical, but she does think on that recommendation for a minute and says this, if that is the case then is it so hard to believe that the Spirit of God hovered over the text and over the scribes who were compiling the text, who held Isaiah 35? What if she said the Spirit of God just said, put it here, (laughs) right right here, when before anybody's ready? In other words, she says, perhaps the Spirit of God breathed into the heart of the scribe and said, it's time to interrupt this narrative of despair because the reader, the congregation need a moment of hope so Isaiah 35 belongs here. I don't know, that's, that's what Barbara said. That's what she thinks. But I've actually found that, that to be the case of God in my life. I've found that God works just like that in so many ways and in so many places. I've heard stories my whole life of God finding a way to break a cycle of despair and depression with moments of grace and beauty. Lately, I find myself looking for uh, and seeking those things. Lights in the dark, streams in the desert. This past week, I got home from a a meeting at night, and I looked at Adair, and I 
told our dog as well, we need to pile in the car because we're going to go look at Christmas lights for 30 minutes. I just need 30 minutes of Christmas lights. So we did. And you know what I found out? I found out that College Street, Washington, and Wesley, they never do anything halfway. (laughs) I saw Halloween and I was impressed. But so many lights, and at the darkest time of the year, I love that. Little interruptions in the darkness. I've started populating my Twitter and Instagram and news feeds with similar things, with accounts that breathe hope and life into a media landscape dominated by negativity and shame and canceling and despair. And there's one account called Good News Movement. And it's an account dedicated to just interrupting that landscape with moments that are truly good. Moments like a grandson surprising his grandmother in the middle of a grocery store after she had to place her husband in hospice care. Moments like a little, a little five-year-old kid dancing into surgery because he is absolutely fearless. These moments, these moments are grace, little breakthroughs into the world. And they're not fancy, and they're not covered by our millions of news stations, but they're, I think, the moments we need the most that show us that God is interrupting the negative narrative of our culture and world with grace, with streams of water through the wilderness, like lights in the darkness. And I've actually found that if I look for them, I can find them. I asked the staff this week about moments like that, moments of hope and grace. I asked, where have you seen such moments lately? And the staff started talking about the new mural that's been painted on the, on the playground. It's beautiful if you haven't seen it. The artist Amber did a wonderful job. There's plenty of nature. There's a bear. There's birds, there's deer. One of our staff told us that he'd been out there watching the kids admire it. And then he got misty-eyed when he noted that the kids were in line taking turns petting the deer on the mural. And he said, for whatever reason, that is a moment of hope. And I said, why? How? And he said, you're watching little humans, humanity, at its most pure and innocent And you're watching what we all could be if we had just remained. Pure trust. Philip Yancey says it takes childlike faith to believe in a reality beyond the grim one we know so well and to keep celebrating regardless. Sometimes a child's eye just sees it best. (laughs) Dr. Bruce Birch says this, that, that Advent celebrates the story of the coming of a child. A promised and promising baby born into a Jewish people held in captivity under Rome, despairing about the future, not born in rich circumstances, not born in a time of ease and certainty, but a child born nonetheless, which is already in itself a miracle, a true moment in the world in which God decides to interrupt the despair and darkness and show the world what true light looks like. And is it enough? I think it might be. We've got one more thing and I'm through. Isaiah chapter 35 ends like this. It says, In the midst of the new river flowing in the desert, the blooming and the blossoming plant life, in the midst of the reclaimed and redeemed land, there will be a highway, a holy road, a way that has been made. The message says, No one rude or rebellious can be on this way. It's for God's people. And the cool thing about this way, this road, is that you can't get lost. 
Not anymore. Not even fools, it says, can lose their way. There's no threat or danger on this new road. It is the way of the redeemed, and it is filled with joy and celebration all the way home. Perhaps that's what all those little moments are about, those moments in our lives, glimpses of joy and hope and possibility. And their brevity tells us that we are not home yet, but their purity reminds us that we are on the way. We are on a journey with God. Moments like Isaiah 35, moments filled with Christmas lights or children petting a deer on a wall or a simple phone call or a reminder that you are not alone even if it feels like it or the birth of a child are all moments of joy along the road of the redeemed. One of my favorite professors said this when he was talking about Isaiah 35. He said, this passage is what we dream of. Out of this cruel, brutal world, the earth at peace, its defaced beauty restored, its wounds healed, its sorrows lifted, and on the open road to home and to God, the children of God are there in joy and praise. But he cautions us. It is surely easy, he says, to dismiss a dream and point back to the way things really are. To say quickly, that's not the real world. Quit your daydreaming. But the Christian should never call this passage a dream because it's a promise. The promise of a highway through a redeemed land, a road that is more than enough, a way filled with joy. And where is the way, you ask? The better question might begin with who. This season we reflect on the notion that our highway, our way of the redeemed, has come in the form of a child. Born in the most humble of settings, in the darkness of a stable. And this child would grow up to lead humanity into a new understanding, a reality of God that we had not yet experienced. And he would die in the most despairing of manners. But he would ultimately find a way to destroy even the most final of outcomes, roll away the stone, and bring grace, an abundance of grace, out of nothing. And my friends, you can trust me when I say that that grace is more than enough. It's more than enough. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give thanks for a way. We give thanks for the way. And that way is marked with joy and grace and it is abundant. So God, stir within our hearts something new. Remind us, open our eyes to the world around us. The moments your kingdom is breaking forth into this world. And use us if you need to, O God. In Jesus' name, amen.